Hello, everyone. Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they are published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together. Okay, guys, this is uh, season one, episode 12, uh, part three in our final part of our conversation with Brad Carruthers of Mount Vernon, Ohio. Uh, Brad is a, a fairly new breeder in the, in the industry, so uh, good to have his perspective. And uh, let's hear the last part of our conversation with Brad. If you want to really tell where you're at in the world, even with breeding stock, load up some and take them to the sale barn the those guys will tell you by price how you're doing there's no doubt there that's the gut check of the deal you know everybody should take a couple lambs to the sale barn just to see you know what what the buyers think of your lambs because you'll know really quick yeah i really liked uh i think it was mark dennis's idea on our podcast about having meat graders be be some judges that at least come into some some shows and um you know or at least give some talks at the expo or something to where we can all you know see them in action grading some sheep and i mean a show's a nice place because you have a lot of sheep there but but i mean you know that's not what they're showing on so you obviously want to have a different judge but but have a meat grader come in and and talk to talk to people and and see you know what are they looking for what what is that ideal finish on a lamb what is a good meat lamb that a, a processor is going to want um you know I, I i think there's a lot of value to getting to know your processor um and, and going and seeing the lambs hanging on the rail that's something i've wanted to do i haven't done it yet but to where you can actually see that lamb you can see the finish on it and you can see the difference between and then as in between the two lambs and then as you you know as you continue to produce you can know okay this is the kind of lamb i need to produce this is when it's ready to finish um this is when it's ready to process you know this one maybe needs another week this one needs another two weeks i know a guy um that that he you know goes and checks his lambs every few days every week and based off how they feel, that's that's how he he goes and sends them to the butcher. And um, you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of value there to really getting to to see that processing firsthand. And you know, if you can have talk to a, a meat grader or talk to a broker, um, like you said, take some sheep to a sale barn, something to where you can get somebody that's, that's selling a lot of lambs and seeing a lot of lambs where they can tell you this is how you need to improve and that guy also don't care what fluffy's daddy's name is <laughs> he don't care <laughs> you know he sees a thousand lambs a day and and he he's just going by what he knows not you know he don't have a pedigree in mind you know he don't care yeah uh, brad that guy we were talking about at the turkey farm uh when we were there uh during that ohio state class i took uh, his grader comes by every week and this guy's deal, I think his deal was for 140 pound lambs or 145 pound lambs, whatever they were. And, uh, so every week he gathered, up, I think his deal was 30 or 40 lambs or something every week. And so he gathered up, you know, say 50 or 60 lambs that were at that range. And, uh, and he had them in a, in a ring in a, in a round pen type deal. And the grader uh, came while we were there, and he goes through with a marking crayon. You know, he might have had two colors, red and blue or something. And he marked one that was ready and one that needs another week, you know. And so he would – and then the next day, the guy would take the ones that were ready 
to their processor. And, um, and then the next week he would bring those ones that he marked previously that he thought needed another week of finish, you know, and then add more to the pen, you know, and that's how they did that every week, you know? And, um, that's a, that's a kind of guy, man, would, would love to have at expo for sure. Well, I agree with you. I mean, and if they were to do that meat class at OSU again, I'd love to go. Unfortunately, they had that right, right before I was, into it to a level to where I would go because it was right in my backyard. But that's something that I think people undervalue so much. You know, I mean, the NSIP numbers are great. Making sure they're structurally correct is great. You know, if you want to show sheep, that's great too. You know, but it's like at the end of the day, they're a meat breed. You know, we're raising meat. Well, don't mm-hmm. give up because that that is my goal before I come off the board is to have an expo where we do that. And, uh, and that, you know, that, that might be in the works. I don't know yet. I think it'd be a great way to sort out the top 10 for the sale. <laughs> when they're hanging from their ankles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not still hanging from their ankles, but have that guy fit. Well, so my, my thoughts are is, uh, you know, we haven't been to Ohio in a, in a several years, mostly because of the NSIP sale. That's usually about the same time. Uh, but if that, if that thing kind of falls away to the wayside, at least for Katahdin's, then that opens up Ohio again. And, and if, and if we go to Ohio, then Ohio state university has that facility and has those guys there. So, uh, we, we could do it, you know, uh, if they would allow us, we could, uh, what we did at our class was we brought in, I don't know, there might've been 30 lambs, I guess. Uh, and, um, and they all had a number on their side and we were in groups of three and we had monopoly money and we had to bid on the live animal from a profitability side of what we thought we would get the most pounds of usable meat from. And, uh, of course the Katahdin was a dog. I mean, 81 pounds. I believe, I believe the Katahdin was 81 pounds. The Dorper was like maybe 105 or something. And then the rest of them were 130 to 250 pound wool sheep. And, uh, and I kind of get their theory. Their theory is, is if you went to the average cell barn, that's the size of the hair lambs that are going through. Hey, I get it. That's, they're probably right. You know, that's the, the ethnic lamb, you know? And, uh, so anyway, we, we bought these lambs based on our, uh, thought process of profit. And then, uh, after we picked them, then they went straight into the, into the room and they, uh, they use a stun gun, hung them upside down. Uh, we skinned them out, gutted them out, and then we cooled them overnight and then come back the next day. And we, we processed them into cuts into sellable cuts and we weighed everything. We weighed the fat, we weighed the, the off all we weighed, you know, our meat. And then we determined profitability, you know, based on that. And, that was a very eye-opening experience, you know, to see the live animal and then hang in. And then, you know, the, we had one ram. We had one big Suffolk that they, they had fed intentionally. His name was Buckeye Bob. And he weighed 258 pounds. And, you know, you see these guys posting these 300-pound rams now. Well, let me tell you, old Buckeye Bob at 50, 258 had like 70-something pounds of fat in him. <laughs> and uh i mean it filled up a a uh uh not hardly a 55 gallon barrel it was huge you know there was like two or three four or five buckets of fat to come off this thing and uh when you trimmed all that off he was just a normal sheep you know what'd you learn from that robert <sighs> man don't I don't, that don't, don't need no <laughs> 300 pound ram you know i don't know it was you know, you got to look at the bone. You got to look at the bone to meat ratio. And, um, there, it was, it was, I would do it again every time they had that class. If they had it every year, I would do it every year. I think, uh, I think every group of lambs that come through would bring up something that, uh, well, I'll tell you something I learned from it. You cannot tell the loin size of an animal by looking at it or touching it. You can think you can, and you think you can get close. But, uh, no, you can't not until he's hanging there. You know, we had loin scans on all, we did loin scans on all of them. 
and then we turned back around and and had the 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 loin chops laying on the table but uh yeah you can't guess you couldn't guess uh the best the best loins we had come from a like a 130 pound sh- uh, club lamb you know he didn't look big as nothing you know uh when he when he walked through nobody really picked him because he's he didn't look like anything you know by grabs let me tell you he had it going on which was the most profitable oh man i don't remember uh, oh one of those one of those club lamb the club lamb deal really shocked me you know uh they were they were pretty efficient animals um there wasn't a whole lot of difference between the 258-pound Buckeye Bob and the 81-pound Katahdin from profitability because I didn't give as much for the Katahdin as I did the Suffolk, you know. Yeah. If you're paying, so, you're, you're paying so much a pound as a packer. And then – As far as the profitability, it was just from the packer's point of view? Yes, totally packer's point of view because when you're throwing away 70 pounds or 75, 80 pounds of Buckeye Bob in a bucket, you know, yeah that's not profitable you know so uh yeah that was it was pretty cool very very interesting way of looking at it and uh you know i still the the presentation we we have uh an email where they give us all the pictures of the live animal the uh you know where they split the carcass at the at the uh-huh. joint or the rib there where you do your scan and then um and then we got the data you know, the raw data and then the processed data of each lamb. And, and I look at that every now and then I'll scroll through and, and just as a refresher of, you know, keep keeping your mind clear and open. But yeah, for example, I've got uh, Buckeye Bob pulled up here. His live weight was 235. His carcass weight was 155. Uh, his uh, fat trim was 57.95 pounds. 37.39% of his carcass was fat. So uh, out of a 155-pound carcass, 60 pounds were fat. So uh, really, really hard on the profit margin there. Great exercise. The loin scan is a big deal. And, and I wish I wish I could do it. I wish it was more in my area, uh, something that I'll do, you know, maybe the next couple of years. Um, but I, I wish I had a couple of breeders in a, in a close enough area that, you know, people could go in together on one and, and share costs, uh, you know, because a good one is so expensive. But uh, I think, I think uh, without measuring that, um, you know, the rest of it, you're just guessing. Yeah. That's something like I've always wanted to do it, but it's just, yeah. I mean, it's like they're expensive and then it's like, you know, do you pay somebody? And then it's like, well, do you get that money recouped back? You know, it kind of comes down to just the financials of it. And I go back to at the Eastern NSIP sale would have been two years ago. Dr. Nodder was there and he's like, look, is someone going to pay you more for the fact that it has a bigger loin eye area? Are they going to not? Do you think they will? I mean, do they pay you more? Yeah. You know, and if the answer is no, then it's not worth measuring. I totally get that. But if you don't start, you never, you, you're like the article. I don't remember me and Caleb was talking about this the other day. I don't remember where that article was at, or if it was something we shared on Facebook where the County fair somewhere, you know, the sheep were 20 pounds heavier over the eight or 10 or 20 year period. But the loin size hadn't gained any, hadn't changed one bit. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think if you don't measure it and you don't, uh, if you don't work on that, then it never gets anywhere. You know, I'm, I completely agree with you, but it was like, at the same time I was thinking like, well, yeah, I mean, right. So like, that that kind of made me think, okay, for now, you know, and now is, okay, was well, that in the next two years, in the next five years, who really knows what that is, you know, but it's like, eventually I would, I would love to, I mean, and if it was possible, I probably would, you know, if it wasn't too expensive. Um, 
I know a couple people that have become certified scanners, but they, the biggest thing is having access to one of the ultrasound machines. And, well, that's- and knowing what you're looking at, you know, uh, I, I was, I've been at Lynn's, you know, one day when he scanned a couple hundred lambs with his scanner, with his guy that comes through. And, uh, you know, I wanted to see, I wanted to ask questions, you know, and he's like, you know, it'd probably take you a thousand lambs before you ever got good or accurate. And I'm like, well, that's kind of encouraging, but he's probably yeah. right. You know? Well, there, yeah. I looked into doing it and I actually found a scanner out here that could come scan my lambs. Um, you know, it's kind of that, that thing that, that Brad talked about, you know, are your customers going to pay you more for it? And, um, you know, I'll probably do it here. And, and, and I didn't have connectivity to scanned flo- scanning flocks yet. Um, now I do. Um, so I was like, well, you know, is it really worth it? You know, well, and so, on that same yeah. line, your customers, your meat customers are not paying you extra for parasite resistance. Yeah. I, I mean, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's a good, it's a valid point. I mean, but at the same time, I uh, <laughs> wouldn't necessarily have meat customers without parasite resistance because lambs yeah, wouldn't necessarily. Yep. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's yeah. like that gives me more pounds of lamb to sell them. Yeah, but, but I tell you though, the when your lamb chops are laying out there, that's the first thing people talk about is how big they yeah. are. You know, yeah, that loin size it, is that's a that's like a you know the highest thing on the totem pole. Yeah. And so I've thought about, you know, doing some scanning. Um, the, the tricky, there's two, two tricky parts to it. Uh, you know, one is finding a scanner and I found a scanner. Great. The second tricky part is the lamb size, because what it does is it adjusts to 120 pound lamb. Well, if you're scanning, you know, 80 pound grass fed lambs, then it is extrapolating out to 120 pounds. Well, that's, that's, uh, not necessarily the the most accurate and so it, you have to have them a little bit closer to kind of that target weight um but one of the thing what i was getting at is the scanner that i found she doesn't actually read the slides um she sent she take she just takes a picture and sends them off somewhere so all she has to do is learn how to take the picture which is a whole lot easier to do than to read the slides and so and then the um, place where she sends them off to is a certified place as well. And then they'll read the slides and put it all into a spreadsheet. So maybe that might be an option for you. Um, you know, once you, once you get going, if, if you're still, you know, while you still learn to, you know, why, why you scan your thousand lambs <laughs> to figure right. out how to measure the depth, um, you can have somebody else measure it. That's a good idea too. I mean, it's like, it's something like, that's one of the many things that a lot of us would like to do. I think we just got to figure out a way to make it more feasible. Well, Dallas, the guy that does uh, lens, he also does the, <clears throat> the Texels at stud Ram, uh, and Sedalia. So he tries to grab him, you know, when he's in the area and that, that kind of helps too. And, yeah. um, and another thing I, what they, what talk, just talking to Lynn, um, because he's my loin expert, I guess. Um, if if he focused only on that, um, he he said it would be amazing the progress he could make. But of course, he's more balanced traits too. Uh, uh, but he he says he's seen that much uh, significant difference uh, with the scans that that if he was only focusing on scans, that he he would be uh, he would blow some minds really quick. In a short yeah. amount of time. That's yeah. something, you know, like if we just got more data points too, that would really help. Yeah. You know, because it would let us know, hey, you know, or like he thinks it'll work. Well, let's back that up, you know. And then if we can back that up, then it's like, hey, guys, this is this is a real thing, you know. Well, we, we have raw data at the uh, Virginia Tech sale on loans, you know, and they, yeah. they vary quite a bit, you know, so. That's like, I mean, I've got some that have – Loin I EBVs strictly from Virginia Tech, you know, because they've come through that sale or are related to them, and you know, in one way or another, um, to get some data. Which I mean, it's like, yes, yeah, it's, it's that's the that's the next one 
that I want to start getting into because I mean, they're meat cheap, you know? Um, now at the same time, it's like, okay, that's the loin area. That's, you know, yeah. the chops. What about everything else? That, that's one cut. Now it's the most popular cut, but at the end of the day, it is still one cut. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of balance with everything else too. Yeah. And when you look at, you know, you, if you select on just muscle depth, I mean, your growth is going to go down because that inverse correlation, um, and the growth drives your muscle or drives your overall pounds of meat more than your muscle depth does. But ideally you get one that's got high growth and decent muscle depth. So you actually can drive both, but to try to find those ones that kind of break that correlation is, it's harder, but, um, that's what, that's the whole reason we're in NSIP though. We're trying to find those outliers. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just, you know, one of those things where it is hard to move a trade. I mean, you look at the parasite resistance, right. And you look at how much progress has been made in the last, you know, five, 10 years when you have a whole lot of flocks collecting data and submitting data, I can imagine, you know, those first couple flocks, you know, when it was just a couple doing parasite resistance data, it probably took a while because you have to buy a RAM. And if you can't find somebody that's got data, then you have to take a guess and, and see what, what works out. Um, you know, the more people we get doing scanning data, I think, um, you know, the, the more progress we can make and we can incorporate that in a balanced animal without giving up other traits. You can find those outliers that, that have, the decent muscle depth and you can move, move the breed forward. You know, I, I've got some friends that are St. Croix breeders and they've added me to the St. Croix group on Facebook. And, uh, you know, I'm there for the entertainment value mostly. <laughs> and, uh, and, and at the same time, I'm kind of intrigued with, with that breed of sheep and, and their natural, uh, resistance. But my question is always when these guys brag about their resistance is who's measuring it? None of you guys yeah. are measuring it. How do you know? Yeah. Well, we never had to worm. Well, that don't mean nothing. You know? <laughs> yep. I agree. It doesn't mean anything until you go down to St. Croix and you see them. So last, it would have been two years ago, my wife went down to St. Croix on vacation and we got to see St. Croix sheep on St. Croix. And that was really cool. Um, but did you pack God, any in a suitcase? I I debated <laughs> it. And they actually have a university there. It's called the University of the Virgin Islands, and they have a sheep program down there. Um, they did some some uh, experiments with some dorpers, um, and they've that didn't go well. They all died. Um, <laughs> they they were trying to get some more muscle on their St. Croix, and they all died. Um, so we were debating stopping in. I think I might send him an email to kind of justify another vacation for myself to St. Croix. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, Hey, what about Katahdin's? You know, I mean, cause you could, you could start to get some of that muscling without giving up all your parasite resistance Yeah, seriously down there. I mean, it is 83 degrees, you know, year round, you know? And I mean, it's like, they may not be very big, but those things, those are the one the ones down there on the island, I will say, they they were parasite resistant, and you don't have to measure it because they were the they were healthy. They, I mean, they, they looked, just survived or they didn't. Exactly. I mean, really. I mean, they looked good. They weren't very big, but they looked, you know, healthy, and they were alive. <laughs> and it was like that's something. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that's one thing I realized when I was down there is you know you go to in as far as Crucian food, I mean, a lot of that stuff is lamb and goat centric, you know, as far as their curries and their stews and all that stuff. And man, it was really, really good. The food was, but that was really cool. Cause we were driving around. I'm like, I'm going to find some sheep on this Island. <laughs> By God I did. And it was, it was cool. You know, to kind of, cause I mean, they were used in the, you know, and the formation of the Katahdins and to see them down there in St. Croix was, was kind of cool, but they weren't very big, but yeah, 
they were hardy little things. Well, you know, yeah. uh, I see. So St. Croix was one of the breeds that I was toying around with thinking about adding another flock because I, I'm sitting here thinking, man, you know, there's still some value into that animal. What if somebody started a, a St. Croix NSIP flock and, and started gathering data and started trying to increase the animal size? I mean, we've, we've heard, we've heard from breeders the last four or five or the only four or five podcasts we've done so far about how far Katahdin's have come from the hundred pound use to now we're pushing 200, two and a quarter. Well, that didn't happen by happenstance. That happened by, you know, breeding genetics. So, uh, you know, the back of my mind, I'm thinking, Hmm, project, you know, but I'm not ready for that project. So, (laughs) well, the one thing is, you know, you're going to breed in, to get a bigger St. Croix, you're going to wind up with most likely basically a Katahdin. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like the most of the work's already been done for you. Yeah. Because if you want a parasite resistant Katahdin, they're out there. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing. Yeah, but you got the homesteader crowd that wants, you know, they're all about, uh, you know, rescuing these old breeds. You know, it was more of a, it wasn't necessarily uh, to to try to recreate a Katahdin. You, you know, I was trying to uh, keep a pure St. Croix and yep. just genetically select, you know. Make, to make St. Croix, that, yeah, that, that actually is profitable. It has some meat on it, you know. Yeah. I mean, you these know, guys are telling me, oh, they're, they're 100 pounds and they're a year old. And I'm like, man, are you not broke yet? How do you, how do you afford that? Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's – because I do believe if you go on the uh, livestock conservancy, I'm pretty sure they're on there. Them and like the Florida Gulf Coast sheep. There's yeah. there's several Florida lot. cracker, yeah. Yeah, I, I know a guy in in Oklahoma that had four or five hundred hair sheep, and he was crossing uh, Saint Croix, Katahdin, and those Florida crackers, and uh, he loved them. You know, he he loved the. I think he was at a quarter Florida cracker and he thought that was just a magic touch, you know? Well, <laughs> and that's one thing that, you know, those heritage breeds are important, you know? Yes, I mean, absolutely. It's how we got here. Like for example, um, you get into some of those wool breeds, they started turning them into so many different things that I don't know. You know, there's, I'm not going to, you know, get into particulars to which breed, but there's some breeds that I don't know if there's a purebred one left out there. Well, it so depends on who you ask. They yeah. get them to look like they should, you know? And so that's something like, you know, if, if at any point in time, one of these composite breeds drifted too far in one direction, you need these, the breeds that they came from Keep to, them to bring yeah. them back to where you thought you should be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can move a breed so far so fast with genetic selection that you you realize, oops, <laughs> I missed some other traits here. Yeah, let's, <laughs> if you let's focus take on one trait. Back. Yeah. Yeah. And hmm, you, you, sounds to me like uh, you, you, between the three of us, we need to try this. <laughs> <laughs> First. <laughs> well, you know, uh, so, so in the last two or three years, I keep asking these people, show me what you got. Show me what you got. I ain't seen none yet that I've, you know, just been terribly excited about. I, I've seen a couple, you know, and I'm like, is, is this bad confirmation trait in all y'all's animals? And they're like, so, but they're parasite resistant. I said, yeah, but they're, they're not confirmationally correct either. Yeah. <laughs> well, so it comes down to the very select gene pool that a lot of them pull from at this point mm-hmm. which is right. kind of unfortunate because that's yeah. all they have left yeah Here, so here's my funny St. Croix story so I sold a ram to some people a few years ago that had some St. Croix and they're they're trying to add some some frame on them because um, they're you know having a hard time getting them to, to be any value as far as meat goes and uh, so they sell this ram or so I sell them this ram and Anyways, they kept back their St. Croix ram. And he's probably four years old, and I sell him this, this yearling Katahdin ram. Anyways, this uh, four-year-old St. Croix ram is, he's, he's uh, <laughs> quite, quite uh, aggressive. 
and they put these two Rams together and the Katan Ram, I told him he's, he's really mellow. And uh, anyways, his other Ram just wants to fight and St. Croix Ram comes and charges the Katan Ram full on right towards the head. The Katan Ram just put his head down. That was all he did. Didn't back up or anything. Just put his head down. The Ram charged right into it. St. Croix Ram flipped, flipped on his back and <laughs> his eyes kind of rolled in the back of his head and they kind of laid there for a few minutes. <laughs> Katana Ram just stood there like nothing even happened because <laughs> the size difference right. sometimes and the, the, the thickness and the, the density and everything, um, you know, the St. Croix, they're, they're so light. Um, but again, if you can cross them with, with something else, I mean, you know, if somebody took a St. Croix and crossed it with a low birth weight taxol, would that work in their system? Yeah, it, it might work. Um, but again, it, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, people are, you know, I talked to some people that cross St. Croix with Dorpers and they're like, yeah, I want the parasite resistance and the maternal instinct of the St. Croix and I want the muscle and, of the, the Dorper. And I'm like, well, you're essentially trying to breed a Katahdin is really what you're, what you're trying to do. You're using two other breeds to try to breed something that's got some parasite resistance, got some frame on it, got some muscle and, 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 and if you haven't seen a whole lot of St. Croix and Dorpers, neither of those breeds are going to give you much frame. <laughs> neither of them are going to give you a, a bigger animal. They're all still going to finish at 80, 90 pounds. Um, you know, Katahdin's going to allow you to finish to a hundred pound lamb for sure. So. Yeah. I ran into that. Uh, there's a guy close to me, probably an hour, hour and a half away from me. He had a, got a feed store and he, he got to trading around, got into sheep and, and, uh, you know, he, he bought, he's buying groups of 50 to hundred lambs here and there. And then he'd peddle them off on Craigslist or we got this other little local classified deal going. And, and, um, and, and what he was buying was mostly St. Croix, uh, sheep. And, uh, and of course him being a feed store, he was throwing the feed to them and he was selling them as commercial Katahdin because Katahdin was a, you know, everybody's heard of Katahdin if you're looking. So, you know, here's a cheap commercial Katahdin. And I'm like, man, you're killing me. And he goes, well, I don't know if they're, you know, they got to be half Katahdin, half St. Croix. Look at them. I said, well, you don't know. You're just guessing, you know, <laughs> but, but that was his selling point was they were commercial Katahdins. Who knows, you know, other than the two St. Croix Rams that he had in there with him. <laughs> If they would have been awesome, they would have been, you know, superior St. Croix genetics, but you know, otherwise they're commercial Katahdins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems to be like a, a catch all as far as some of the hair sheep, you know, or when they're trying to market it as something and, you know, it's one of those, there's some people like they don't know exactly what it is. So they, you know, they look it up and it pops up as one of the more popular hair breeds and that's what they try and go with. Yeah. And in my world, if it's, if it's, if it's mostly white and, uh, and kind of thin, then it's a, it's a commercial Katahdin. If it has any size to it at all, it's commercial Dorper. Uh-huh. You know, Which, just by default, <laughs> you know, depends is, on, depends on uh, the sheet. You know, it's one, it's, if it's decent, They'll call it a commercial dorper. And if it's, you know, if it's on the lower end of, oh, that's Katahdin, you know, just cheap Katahdin. And they're, they're both guessing. Exactly. And it's one of those, you don't have to have, you know, a registered animal to be able to say what it is. No. You know, you're tracking what it is, you know, yeah. that's good enough. You know, I mean, there's, there's, there's plenty of ways and there's plenty of systems. I mean, NSIP is one of them. There's a pedigree included there. You know, and it has in there what, what the animal is. So, I mean, just because it's commercial doesn't mean it's bad. And that's, I think, a common misconception with people. I mean, some of the best you flocks are commercial, you know, because they have to be highly maternal. They have to raise lambs. Their lambs have to grow. They have to work. In your, you know, I mean, there are so many, you know, things yeah. that commercial use have to do for your flock that honestly is what we should be striving for. And that's one thing I like about NSIP. It's like, look, like 
yeah, my sheep are registered, but they're, the whole goal is for them to work. I mean, they're a meat sheep. The whole goal is for them to be good at raising meat, you know, and they're going to, you know, they're Katahdins and they've got data to prove that they're good at raising meat sheep. <laughs> and I think that's the biggest takeaway because if they can't do that, then what's a piece of paper? Well, and that was my, you know, back to the 409 deal, you know, that was my takeaway is, uh, you know, if you're, how can you improve on something you don't measure, you know, um, and, and, and then the naysayers that, that I get hit up on all times, so I got some buddies that just drive me nuts about it. <laughs> and, and we argue, I mean, it's a weekly or biweekly argument, you know, and, uh, you know, not all NSIP, just cause they're in NSIP don't mean nothing. You know, they can have bad data just as, just as much as two world champion horses can have a crooked leg, you know, uh, but you got the data to prove it, you know, and, uh, you know, and just because, you know, I, I'll give you a great example. Uh, I went to Carl's out in Iowa, golly, it's probably been five, six years now. And uh, I was in a neighborhood, and, and uh, when you're in the neighborhood of Iowa, you know, I was within 100 miles probably. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I'm close by, you know. Yeah, come on by. We're working lambs. You can help us. So I, so I dropped in, you know. And uh, and he was so excited to show me this one rock star uh, ram that he had that he was very proud of. And so we get them all up there, and, and when we get to the – you know, we're probably 30, 40, maybe 50 lambs in and, and, and that ram gets in the alley and he's, he's going through, uh, I don't remember what he was doing now, but anyway, I mean, he just, the air let, is let out. He goes, son of a gun. I said, what? He goes, this son of a gun's got horns. And, uh, you know, it had little nubs and it'd been, you know, this is, I guess the second group of weights. So it'd probably been 30, 45, 50 days since he'd, you know, been through the the deal, and in that time frame, this 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 thing had little half inch nubs that you could see and feel, and uh, well, you probably couldn't see it without touching them, I guess, because he had he was a dark colored lamb. Anyway, uh, the data was phenomenal. I mean, just a beautiful animal, and uh, so on my way home, I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's because I asked Carl. I said, so what are you going to do with this thing? I said, you you knock those horns off, you burn them off. What do you do? And he goes, Oh no, we'll eat him. He said, we won't, we won't sell him as breeding stock. And I'm like, Oh man, that stinks. He said, Oh yeah, it's terrible. So on the way home, I'm like, golly, you know, what if, you know, you got this thing, you could buy this ram at meat prices. <laughs> you know, my head's turning here thinking genetically, it's a nice son of a gun. I keep some ewe lambs out of it. And if the horn thing became a problem, then I'd deal with it. But, you know, I'd take my chances, you know. And so I talked to another buddy here that's in my town that me and him had some sheep, you know, basically we were doing the same thing. And, and, and I'm like, man, what do you think? You know, and he goes, oh man, if you like him, I, I say we, we buy it from him. I'm like, all right, I will call him back. So probably two weeks goes by and, uh, and I call Carl and I'm like, Hey, you remember that? Oh yeah. I remember. I said, uh, you still going to, you still going to uh, sell him as a meat lamb? He goes, done done he said uh we're we done had him at the processor and i'm supposed to pick him up next week and i'm like oh man but but that gave me a lot of respect for somebody that didn't just strictly go by numbers you know it uh it it didn't suit it didn't match what he was trying to do from a breeding stock side so it didn't matter you know, it didn't matter that Rob was willing to buy it and use it, you know, take a chance on it, you know, nope, didn't, didn't suit me. So, uh, in the freezer he went, you know, that's like, uh, my highest growth Ram this year. I mean, based on his EBVs, his fecal egg count may or may not be, I mean, he's not going to be as great as what we would use, but he may or may not be worth, you know, selling and his other numbers would be, a lot of people would love him, you know, but it's like, look, you know, you have to have kind of your own standards. I mean, I was talking to someone last week and they had a ram that went through the Virginia Tech test, had not a single egg the entire time, 
was a 113 and a half index. Sprouted horns when he got him home, when he put him in the freezer. Mm. I mean, it's just, but like you have to, you have to have your standards that you're willing to deal with and ones you're not. Now also that's different for other people, you know, like, like you were willing to buy that Ram, you know, it's like, Hey, I'll take my chance on it. And it's like, well, but you know, some of the best breeders in the country, you know, they have their, their standards that they're not willing to budge on if it's going to carry their name. Well, uh, looking back, you know, that was a blessing for me because I, I, um, I wouldn't have done it now for no matter how good his data would have been, you know, but yeah, six, seven years ago, I'm like, "Mm, okay, I could, you know. And that's why I think it's important for those of us that have been in it, you know, let's just say, you know, five to eight years, we should like ask people that have been in this for, you know, 15, 20 since, since the beginning of NSIP, like, Hey, what happened when, when you did this? You know, cause you may be thinking, Hey, if I bred this to this, I could get, you know, this, well, Hey, I've done that. You know, I know these genetics. What if we did, what if you did this? Okay. You know, but like, you, you know, that all comes from building relationships and trusting people that have the experience as well. Well, we've got our first uh, our first four guests, uh, well, including you, Ad Five, and then me and Caleb. Uh, we're up to about 185 years of sheep experience so far. So, <laughs> and and the three of us on the phone now are the uh, the weak link. That's what I was about to say. Three of us are dragging <laughs> up an average. Right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, but we're going to milk these guys. That's got all the experience for all we can. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm glad there's glad there's not an EBV for experience because I would have been cold a long time ago. Oh <laughs> <been laughs> <cold>, no doubt. <laughs> the band would be on for sure but at the same time if we don't have new people coming in it's gonna fizzle out you know we have to yeah we have to consistently get new and new people in and Mm -hmm. i think one thing you know nsip specifically is we need to have some sort of like mentorship program and just people that like as you're getting into it reach out to people in your area you know there's there's gonna be and the other thing is, I mean, Tom Hodgman, I reach out to him all the time with questions. He lives in Maine. Who cares? There's email. Yeah. You know, like people being in your area, I think is important in some aspects, but just someone that, you know, you have a relationship with to answer general questions is important too, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you look well, at right now, you're in Ohio, Robert's in Tennessee, I'm out in Idaho. <laughs> and we're all talking and we can hear each other. Yeah. We can understand what yeah. each saying. And I think and, the right mentor is the person that will answer you, you know. That goes a long way. Yeah, location has nothing to do with it, you know. It's a, it's important, you know, because, like, there's some things that, like, I couldn't ask you about living in Tennessee or Caleb on his irrigated pastures buying water, which sounds insane to me. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> he has to buy water. We're about to get dumped on for probably four days straight, but – you know, like, for example, like, I've got Kathy B, like, right up in Wooster. It's only 45 minutes for me. We have similar sheep and a similar management system. I could not be more lucky, you know. And not everyone's in that situation, you know. Yeah, but, but at the same time, how often do you drive up there and see her? Not that often. Exactly. You pick up the no. phone or you we send an email. Yeah. So, so once you do that, then it don't matter where you're at. Exactly. But it does help if, like – Hey, I'm seeing this this year. What are you seeing? You know, right. and it's like, you know, that was really helpful. Once I got really, really parasite resistant sheep, like I'm doing these fecal egg counts. I'm like, am I doing something wrong? And she's like, um, why are you doing fecal already? And I'm like, why? Well, I, I wean the lambs. And she's like, yeah, no, you're not going to have it. You're not going to have a challenge. Like, it's just not going to happen yet. It's too early. Right. Work our sheep were too parasite. I'm like, ah, gotcha. Thank you. You know, but it's like, you have to ask those questions, you yeah. know, otherwise I could have run through 40 sets of fecals, had a hundred egg program average and wasted two days of my life. You know, it's so like you do need to reach out to people that, whereas like Roxanne down in South Georgia, she gets a winning fecal, a post winning fecal, and she's done with her parasite stuff at 120 days old. 
you know, because they get, they have such a higher load down there. Mm -hmm. So it's just different. So it's like, you need to make sure. And she's done before you even get a challenge. Oh yeah. She's done. You know, she's done. I got a ram here with two rounds of fecal sitting in my yard and I got ones out back that haven't had a challenge yet. You know, but that's just, that's just, that's just the way it is. So you have to make sure though, that you do get people to help mentor you through the whole, you know, genetics and the whole numbers and all that stuff. But it's also important to make sure you have someone that can understand your system and your climate. I think that's something that some people miss out. Like I see on Facebook all the time, someone posts, oh, this is wrong with my sheep. And someone on the other side of the country in a completely different <laughs> system, like, oh, here's what you should do. Right. You know, or, you know, someone's like, oh, well, how do I get better growth in my grass-based system? And someone's response is corn. And it's like, no, that's not the point. You know, like if you, you know, you have to have a Katahdin's, the one thing is they are so adaptable and they are in so many different management systems. That's great. But also, you have to make sure that some of the advice you're getting is from someone that raises them similarly to you. Yeah, well, one thing I, I enjoy about uh, when you say mentorship or um, just talking sheep in general, you know, I, I enjoy listening to somebody with 20, 30 years experience telling me what they do. But I also enjoy the heck out of me and you talking or me and Caleb, like the three of us that don't know anything running ideas off each other, you know, mm-hmm. that it, I, I learned just about as much from that because I keep my mind open and I'm thinking, Oh man, who, what about this? You know? And then, and then, you know, Caleb say, well, that won't work. You know, here's why. Okay. Well, that's cool. But, but that keeps your mind thinking and, uh, versus, you know, somebody that's, you know, kind of has their system and they're not going to change much because they're established and they, you know, uh, most of these guys do the same thing year in, year out with very little change where, where I'm still new enough. I can change tomorrow. I don't care. I'm not yeah. setting nothing. I agree. I mean, it's, it's important to have both perspectives. It's yes. important to have the, Hey, I made that mistake. Trust me. <laughs> and you're like, Okay, I'll trust you. And then there's also the part of if if you don't have new people coming in with new ideas, whether it's in KHSI, NSIP, any of it, you know, the world is changing so fast. I mean, you have to realize it, you know, and yeah, and that's that's how people, breeds, organizations get left behind. Is they're like, hey, we are king of the hill. You're king of the hill at the moment. Tomorrow you may not be, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to realize that stuff changes. Yeah. And if you don't have people that are, that are, that are new getting involved and, you know, being a voice for, for decision-making and all that, then what happens is, is the, the, the people that are walking that road of actually getting into it aren't communicating, Hey, this is what I need. This is, this is what we need to do to reach these people. And you won't grow. You you can't expand because you don't know what you're trying to reach. But when you have people that are there and they're walking through and they're like, yeah, I'm trying to expand. Yeah, I'm getting into this. This is what it was like, you know, five years ago when I was trying to get into this, not 40. Then it provides you an opportunity to gain a different perspective and reach an entirely new market. And that's the market that you have to reach because that's the market that is exists right now. And I think that's one thing that like there's stuff that those, you know, like the three of us that are new to it, there's stuff that we can take from experienced people and stuff they can take from us. You know, I mean, one thing that like just to kind of somewhat generalize, you know, the younger generation, you know, we've grown up in the technology age, you know, and as far as, marketing and all that stuff too. I mean, it's not magazines are great and all, but like that's one facet, you know, that's in print. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, as soon as you print something, it's outdated. Yeah. And, but like, and there's so many different platforms, whether it's building a good website that actually utilizes search engine optimization so that you can 
be at the top of every site when you click on it. Yeah, that drive people to your website. Having a Facebook and Instagram page that, again, funnels people over to your website so that when most people search for you, you go up to the top and you're the first thing people click on. And that's stuff that, you know, I can help and my wife and I can help certain people with. And there's certain things that they can help us with, you know, but like there's certain things that everyone brings to the table and we all need to help each other out to help all of Katahdin's in general. Absolutely. Well, well I've, so I've got a, uh, I've got a, a, a topic and, and I'll delete my edit out cause it's people, some people will take it wrong <laughs> back to experimenting. So me and a group of four or five guys that I chat with daily, most of them are, are haters. Uh, <laughs> A comment got brought up of, hey, I've used Prohibit past the 90-day mark, and it still worked. I said, how do you know? Well, they, they lived. Okay, well, wonder what the link, wonder what the oldest you can keep it, you know. <laughs> and I, I had this wormy son of a gun pop up. You know, back to this weather change deal, you know, I had one just fall apart on me. And, and I kept some prohibit off to the side for six months just to wait to see if six months mixed prohibit would, would work or not. And, uh, well, it didn't work. So yeah, my, well, I took one for the team. I want to say mine worked, but I don't really know because I also used Valbazin because I always hit it with two different types, but my uh, prohibit was a year old. But either that or the Valbazin saved it. One of the two. <laughs> probably the yeah. Val, probably the Valbazin did. I, I'm oh. guessing. So, yeah. I'm ordering but, some fresh stuff and mixing it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, you know, I I buy it by the gallon, and man, I've had my gallon. Of course, there's not a gallon in it. It's just like a double. It's like a handful, maybe. Comes in this big gallon jug, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and I mix it out like a cocaine dealer and, uh, I got a formula, you know, and I do my grams to ounces and, and, um, uh, you know, I only mix up enough that I'm going to use in about 30 days, you know, and that's, that's all I keep mixed up now. You know, that, that six months was just for an experiment. <laughs> you need more parasite resistance, Robert, if you go through a gallon jug of Prohibited. No, no, no. no my, ga my gallon jug, I'm probably three years into it. It's still half there. Okay. I actually had to work one out. We had have, a you, have you seen the gallon jug of Prohibit? It's probably only got about four, four of those little packages in it. it it's, it's made so that you fill it full of water and you have a gallon pre-mixed. Yeah. And, uh, God. Now, do you do the concentrate or do you just... I do the concentrate, yeah. Yeah, so do I. Because I was reading that once, and I'm like, that is way too much. Dude, somebody, somebody, yeah, somebody asked me for my formula one day, and I sent them a message, and then somebody posted, well, we don't do that. We do this, because that's what the package says. And I'm like, so you're giving this animal 40-something ounces of fluid? Yeah, I'm like, my God. <laughs> you know, I would have to take – 20 gallons of this stuff to do my lambs. <laughs> it was like, I think, but on the package, it also has the concentrate. That's right. It has both. Yeah. I always do the concentrate. Like I was reading once and it was like, you know, 30 or 40 milliliters. And I'm like, what? Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> Thing. Yeah. Uh, my syringe ain't that big, you know, and I have a big syringe for, for other things, but it's like, like no, this doesn't. This can't be right. I have to be reading this wrong. Yeah, no, I do the concentrated, and my little, and my gun is uh is the Primatech, and I have it set on two CCs, and and I just go hmm fifty pounds squirt, hundred pounds squirt squirt, hundred fifty squirt squirt squirt, and I'm done. <laughs> you know. Now, do you deworm all your lambs? I do. Yeah, I used to didn't. And I used to do it. And then when I started doing uh, the fecals, I didn't. And then um, I probably lost more lambs than I should because I was waiting for a challenge. Uh -huh. And then when the challenge got here, it was like, holy shit. 
It, too late. It can you come know. in you fast. Yeah. That, yes, that, that's yes. one thing. Well, it, it does me when I'm not looking at them every day, you know. Yeah. And uh, if it rains on a weekend, I can't do nothing because mine are all out in the field. Uh, so, yes. you know, I'm working on that this summer. I've got a – my project – or my uh, my project is a covered deal for my working facility so I can do night during the week. You know, yeah. I'm a night person, obviously, if you look at the clock right now. but Oh, yeah. Uh, so I can do it at night. I can do it when it's raining, no big deal. And, uh, but yeah, I do my lambs, you know, my first, um, at about 40, whenever that first, uh, group of animals get about 45 days, 40, 45 days, depending on the weekend and the weather, uh, I'll run them through the first time. And then, uh, then I do them again at about a hundred to 120, whenever that time period comes and, and then I'll, I'll hit them again. Now, how do you do your fecal egg counts with doing well, that? Well, I'm not. I, I quit doing them last year. I, I had them last year, and Virginia Tech had this, uh, you know, they lost a guy that was over that, and, and the lady, kept, uh, she told me to, you know, send them, send them but not send them until, uh, you know, till they let me know. And, uh, and I still got them in my, free, in my refrigerator right now, you know, so I like, what the heck you know so I, I felt like i wasted a lot of my time and effort and so i didn't do it um here at ohio i want to show you how to do them well i mean i've done them i've got the microscope i've got the mcmaster slides i've got all that and i've there done it but uh you know it's back to the hours in a day you know it's a lot of work yeah it is it is well, how many lambs do you have uh this year probably about 80 uh i, I tried a thing it didn't work and uh you know, <laughs> I try a lot of stuff here on the, on the river. So you have to try, I mean, you if you don't try, try. well, I, I'm trying to get to 300 heads. So I want to, I want to try stuff now to see if it's scalable. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to try it 300. I want to try it a hundred, you know? Well, and that's like people like, well, you know, they just like him haul around about it. It's like, look, you, you got to try stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, do research, make sure it's feasible, but, you got to try stuff because that's the only way we're going to grow as a, as a breed is if we try and push the boundaries. I mean, it's just, otherwise we're just going to be stuck in a rut and where's the fun of that? <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> yep. Well, not to be a wet blanket or anything, but I probably go to work in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, yeah. What time is it out there? It's only eleven fifteen, yeah. but but it's yeah, in the morning here. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I no, I have I've been up last a couple of days trying uh, to get there. stuff done. Yeah, I'm like, eh. probably need to to uh, wrap it up here. But good deal. Well, you probably right. got enough to edit, don't you, Robert? We got plenty. All right, good deal. <laughs> well. Yeah, that sounds good. Do we want to finish it up some way then? Sure. Um, we can maybe get your last few thoughts on the industry, Brad, and then we can kind of close down. So anyways, um, well, Brad, really appreciate your thoughts so far. Uh, why don't you share with us a little bit about your thoughts on the industry, where it's at now, where it's going. Um, give us maybe a little bit of your perspective as somebody that's, you know, jumping into an industry that's constantly changing where do you see the industry going um and how do you see it changing from where it is now i think there's a bright future for the sheep industry as a whole and as far as katahdin's go it's really i mean it's really growing and the biggest thing that we've noticed at least out here uh in central ohio and most of ohio in general is there's a lot of small flocks that are coming up People wanting to raise, you know, five to 15 ewes have meat lambs to put in their freezer and sell their neighbors. And that, I think, has been the biggest growth for us so far. And that's what we get the most demand for. Um, but also, I think that the Katahdins could be really beneficial to the whole commercial industry. I mean, they have great maternal instincts. They do well in a pasture-based system. And they're also adaptable into different environments as well. So I think it's something that going forward, as long as as a breed, we all kind of get together and 
we're even as small groups, you know, and have goals for uh, enough of our sheep that we can really meet the demands going forward. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely seems to be a lot of promise for the industry and um, especially reaching out to those small flocks. I think, you know, our breed has a lot of uh, potential there as Katahdin's. And I think, um, you know, a lot of other breeds do as well. Um, there's just a lot of potential for the industry to expand and to continue to, to grow here in the U S and to provide more of our own lamb here in the U S instead of importing so much. So, um, anyways, uh, is there any last tips or thoughts that you'd like to leave for our audience? And then maybe you can share, um, you know, some of your contact information, how people can get a hold of you, how they can learn about your operation, your website, Facebook, all that sort of good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the biggest tips I would have for people just getting into Katahdin's or that are already into sheep is NSIP is a great resource. You know, it is one tool. Um, it's not the be all end all, but it's done great things for our flock and it allows you to independently kind of step back from your visual appraisal, um, and get some other true production based information in there as well. And then also find a mentor, you know, find someone that is raising sheep similar to you that can answer your questions has been through similar things to you. Um, and just to kind of be there for you when stuff doesn't go great and is there to help celebrate you and stuff does. So those are my tips. Um, as far as how you can reach us, we're on Facebook. It's old slate farm. We are online at www.oldslatefarm.com. And you can find us uh, also on Instagram at Old Slate Farm and at Old Slate Sheep Guy. So those are our two different Instagram handles. I see and, a pattern there. Yeah, there's a pattern. <laughs> um, so then, what, uh, is, what is the uh, Old Slate Farm? Is that significant to something? Or? Yeah, so we moved in here and we did a lot of renovation projects, both inside and outside. And every time, there must have been a slight roof on this house at one point because my wife has a cut flowers and we have a big garden. And every time we would till into a garden, I swear to God, I would hit <laughs> plate with a tiller. It was, it was everywhere. I mean, and so we were just like, why well, was named old slate farm? So that's kind of how the name came about. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's where you can find us. Feel free to reach out to us at any time for any reason. Always like to talk sheep. So where you can find us. Yeah, great, uh, great perspective. Um, you know, like we said in the beginning, we've been talking to guys with 15 to 50 years experience. And, um, you know, they've kind of settled into their way of doing things. And, and now we got Brad, who uh, who's fairly new and changed, changed pretty quick, you know. Uh, yeah, it's exciting to, to hear your passion, Brad, and um, your excitement for the the uh the breed and um look forward to seeing how you continue to become involved hopefully in the future and, and and bring that passion and uh you know help help the breed advance we need we need people that are willing to to uh to use that passion because um we have a a, a large industry that we can grow into and um but we're not going to grow into it if we don't have passionate uh gotta have the people Yep. And, and you got to have the, the perspective. And I think you, you've given us a unique perspective today and really appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Well, that concludes our conversation with Brad. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, it was very, very interesting to have a new uh, perspective uh, from a new guy. Um, him and his wife had kind of got into sheep and and changed a few things pretty quick in their operation. So uh, good to get that perspective for uh, most of our people are listening are, are kind of new and, um, and we get questions all the time. How do you do this? How do you do that? Uh, the main thing is to be open-minded and uh, be willing to change if something's not working or to find, uh, find a mentor to help you get to where you're wanting to be. So uh, good to hear that. Uh, uh, hope you guys can learn from that. Well, everyone, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far, and, and hopefully it's sparking some questions in your mind as you're thinking about your operations and thinking about what you can do to improve. 
maybe you're new and, and thinking about questions of, of how you can continue raising your sheep and, and things that you're learning and things you still have questions about, send us an email, uh, podcast at sheepthings.com. We'll get those emails and uh, we'll, we'll be happy to answer your questions. And uh, after we get a few questions, periodically we'll actually do a podcast uh, with question and answer and we'll answer your questions right on the podcast here so you can listen to our answers and and we're happy to answer any questions that we can and hopefully this podcast is is generating those questions in your mind as you start thinking about it but hopefully it's answering questions too you come to this podcast ready to learn and and uh, i know i'm always learning something new talking with these people people that i've i've known before people that i haven't and you always learn something new and so hopefully we can help answer your questions but we can't answer your questions unless you send them to us. So again, that's podcast at cheapthings.com, podcast at cheapthings.com. Email us your questions, and we'll be happy to answer them uh, coming up here soon. Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things Podcast. Stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback, so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you and see you later.